0: I'm Teffer. And I'm Catty. Welcome to Yeah, a show where we talk about young adult lit and what it can teach us at any age.
1: This is our book club, and you're invited. Yeah. Yeah!
0: We'd like to take this time before we start to acknowledge that the studio where we record is situated within the traditional and unsurrendered territories of the Ganyanga Haga First Nations. As settlers, it's important that we remember that the lands we occupy are not our own, and that we engage in conversations that challenge the colonial mindset. We encourage you to take some time today, and every day, to reflect on your relationship with the land you live on, and the indigenous communities of that area. So this is kind of fun, Katty. I don't think you and I have done a one-on-one episode in a while.
1: I don't think that you and I have done a one-on-one episode in a while. And I'm super excited um, because this week we are uh, playing into something that I think we both love, uh, a series of uh, YA fiction, dystopian, and also really strong female characters and nice representations of diversity. We are talking about the ballad of Songbirds and Snakes by Suzanne Collins. Yes, the prequel to The Hunger Games.
0: Now, I've got to admit that I am a rabid Hunger Games fan. I really think it's one of the best YA series that we've seen in a while. Um, It's it's so good. When the books first came out, which was back when I was in college, I devoured them. I read them just just so fast and I read them over and over again they're so good and so when I heard that Suzanne Collins was doing a prequel I was really excited and then I was a little apprehensive because this book does uh center around Coriolanus Snow who is president Snow of the Hunger Games the big villain and you know I was a little concerned and I saw some other sort of criticism of like do we really need a whole book about this guy um, and and so I went into it feeling a little apprehensive. I I didn't have to be. It's really good, and I would say actually, like, yeah, we did we we did need this book, like Hunger Games fans. It's so well done, and I think what I was really impressed with reading it is that it makes no excuses. It's a really clear picture of of to be president snow of where he comes from of what makes him who he is but there are never any excuses and he is foiled all the time uh, by characters who come from similar backgrounds and don't turn into monsters it's a really responsibly written book and just the big nerd in me of course was delighted to see sort of the early days of the hunger games one of the choices i think is really fun is that it's not the beginning of the hunger games it's like a few years in but they're totally different from what we saw in uh, in the 74th and 75th Hunger Games in the original series.
1: Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. This is such a great read. Um, y- y- you jump in and I was... I, I had so much fun just with the historical aspect, mm-hmm. um, you know, of, of like being able to, to see in every little detail that they mentioned what was going to turn it, like how the process into how it turns into the Hunger Games that we already know and love and all that. Um, not that we love the Hunger Games, because obviously that's wrong, because it's a bad practice. okay you know (laughs) what I mean and um, there's just something so engrossing about this like character's disturbed and manipulative and brilliant little brain Mm -hmm. Um, I love a villain and this villain is so well written because he is not like he's so human, you totally understand him, and the context is given so beautifully like there there truly is like a a very nice historical component to this book, and you know the memory of the war and all that, but you know through the through the narrative we we still get flashbacks, we still get glimpses into the realities of the characters beforehand, but not done in a in a clumsy kind of like, oh, here's what they mean when they mean war. It's it's woven in really skillfully. Um, and I, I just, I, I, I can't stop raving about this book. I did not think I would like it, because I love the Hunger Games books, and I was really disappointed by, uh, by you know midnight sun, and I you know, which I will still read, but i just i wasn't expecting much it's right we we're, we're
0: really doing like follow ups to series to beloved series right now, huh you know
1: tis the season it's 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 the time where books are coming in I mean this came out in May, and I know that even throughout the summer, you know I was really like. I was seeing people talk about it, but I wasn't 100% sure, and I've kind of stayed away from from reviews and everything, so I was just waiting to see, like, was I going to fall on a headline that says, like, it's being turned into a movie tomorrow, um, or something like that, and now, after reading it, I'm just like, when's the movie coming out? I need it. I need it so bad so much
0: i want the movie and then um the other thing i really want is a book in in the same style about Hamish. yeah very very much um i guess we have a lot of Hamish's backstory but still i also want to just take a quick second as we often do to shout out how pretty this book is so i originally read it as an ebook, and then just ordered a hard copy which i promptly lo- uh loaned to caddy but it is so pretty. I don't know if it's just my personal affection for emerald green because it's this beautiful emerald green, but it just it feels luxurious in your hands, and it's got this green and gold. It's very Slytherin. It's very, like, evil rich people. That's and- a
1: perfect description of it. I mean, that is exactly the sense that it gives you. It's opulent. Or as um, someone who watches RuPaul's Drag Race would say, <laughs> um, sorry, that was real silly, but i can't help it. I love
0: it. <laughs> I love the real silly, so yeah, it's super pretty it 's an experience to like hold it and look at it, yeah, so this book follows Coriolanus Snow as a young teenager uh whose family is super 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 broke from the war because all of their Stock was in District 13, which, as we all know, got obliterated, and uh, he's trying so hard to keep his veneer together and also figure out how he is going to make any money to support his family. The twist of Tigress being Coriolanus's cousin?
1: Shocking, no?
0: Shocking! Wow! I wonder if there's going to be a sequel to this that explains a little bit more about where their relationship
1: went. 100% because it's, 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 it's such an interesting relationship and it is not the relationship that you would expect. And I mean, this book has not been out for six months yet, so I don't feel okay spoiling it. Um, but I think there's just so much, that you can think about as soon as you see their relationship within the first couple of pages. Just go like, wait a minute, how do we go from this to what we know at the end of uh, the original trilogy?
0: So many moments of that throughout, of, of uh, oh, that's where that came from. Oh, how did that get there? And the thing that I think is just fascinating with the whole book is that it's very clear that Coriolanus invented The Hunger Games as they are in, in the original trilogy. And Coriolan has kind of accidentally invented the Hunger Games, just trying to survive, because uh, the sponsors at the time obviously are not past victors. They're students in the academy who can win a scholarship, which he desperately needs. Um, and, and he just accidentally figures out all these cunning, diabolical ways to win the game, and I want to talk about Sejanus, uh, who is kind of a
1: foil to Coriolanus, He's kind of the opposite yeah. of Coriolanus. What a darling. What an interesting, well-contrasted character. I think there's some, there's some very fine work of uh, crafting a character, especially, um, you know, because Sejanus is a character whose family is not from the capital. They're actually from just... Dist- from District 2. So during the Hunger Games, even though he is considered one of the capital folks um, and is even involved in a certain extent through school, the inner monologue, the, 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 the emotions that he goes through, it's fascinating. Fascinating.
0: And it's set up from the very beginning of them as kind of rivals and opposites, because as I mentioned before, Coriolanus's family lost all their money when District Thirteen got bombed to shit. But Sejanus's family had all their holdings in District Two, which is where munitions production moved to. So as Coriolanus's family lost their wealth, Sejanus's family gained just a ton of wealth. And Coriolanus resents this deeply, and you know has this has this real anger towards Sejanus from the beginning.
1: And that brings up a really interesting, um, subtext to this story, which is class warfare. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, I don't know if I would even say subtext, because, I mean, you know, the entire, the entire Hunger Games premise is, like, class sucks, doesn't it kill people? And it (laughs) does. Um... So, yeah, so because everything is about class and about, and you add the layer of old money versus new money, and it's very interesting. And as I was talking about this with someone who has worked with uh, folks who, you know, come from a certain amount of wealth from both those contexts, they were able to explain some really that the differences that they were able to see within those 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 individuals and the way that they reacted or showed off or didn't uh, and all of that, and and we see that so well in the relationship between Snow and Sejanus. I can't call him Coriolanus because I'm not very mature, and any name that ends in anus makes me giggle. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so. Even though Sejanus is, is also a name that ends in anus, but I I think I imagined him as like a brother, like as a as a brother, as a black guy. I think maybe that makes it more okay. I don't know. I'm, I have issues.
0: I I am only able to say Coriolanus because there is a an overture called the Coriolanus Overture that I played in orchestra. Yes. Um so I got very used to saying it <laughs> while I was a teenager. <laughs>
1: I'm 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 basically like an immature tween, well, and that's 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 terrible for tweens, really.
0: I feel like this is a very bad segue from this current conversation, but yes. I want to talk about queer subtext between Ooh. Coriolanus and Sedanus. I mean, there's nothing explicit, but I feel very strongly that uh, Snow is written with very strong by subtext.
1: Mm. and
0: the sense that we get certainly, that I get certainly from the the capital, from Panem is that queerness is just kind of accepted at that point It's mm-hmm. everybody's kind of gotten over it so it's not really commented on it just kind of
1: yes, Ooh, the guy who runs the uh, nightclub in the black market um, in Panem, yes mm-hmm. um, thank you, I'm terrible with names, <laughs> especially Greco-Roman types um <laughs> But yeah, I, I feel like I'm apologizing a lot in this episode. You got I'm nothing not to sorry. apologize for. <laughs> I'm not sorry. You know what? It's okay. Um, wow. Um, but yeah, I love that. You know, no, there's no batting of an eye when he talks about his dead husband or or, or a fiance or whatever. But it's just so lovely. Mm-hmm. And you know, thank you, Suzanne Collins. <laughs>
0: We got to give a little point for casual queers casually existing.
1: Now, I mean, obviously, now here is uh, another aspect of this. Um, I wish there was a bit more queerness in the, in the main storyline. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, I pictured... Snow as like a young Draco Malfoy type mm-hmm. even though they de- like even though they describe him as having tight cheekbones but I couldn't I couldn't necessarily go to Timothee Chalamet because mm-hmm. I keep feeling like I'm predatory or something but you know like there's something really hot about Snow and and his relationship with Sejanus and there's there's like I don't know they like there could have been something a bit it's sexier, a bit, bit hotter about their relationship, or I don't know, I was just disappointed too. Just, I want more in the regular story, I don't want to yeah. have to look for tidbits, there I, you go, I don't want crumbs
0: so it uh, their relationship does feel a little queer baby to me I will say I think in the last section of the story it's it's slightly more overt but here's my take on that relationship because it certainly feels very queer from the get-go that sort of like hate love tension Mm. uh, feels very queer from the get-go and I have this sort of queer reading of the text that you have Coriolanus, who is trying to do everything absolutely right to climb to the top of the social pyramid, right? He wants to be the best. He wants to be the president. He wants to have as much ambition and drive and success as he possibly can. And we also see Coriolanus is somebody who is exclusively attracted to people he's not supposed to be. Yeah. So I wouldn't say you know his relationship with Lucy Gray is queer and I mean we can dive into that because that's a relationship that is fascinating mm-hmm. uh, when you look at it in terms of survival and consent and politics and class there's like so much in that but I, I think that he is positioned as a queer character in that his desires are all problematic with his ambitions. Yeah. And they conflict with his ambitions. His desires conflict with his ambitions. And I think when it comes down to it, that is a queer reading, whether or not the relationship itself is queer, you know? I think, therefore, that makes it really interesting that we see him with these two formative relationships, one with a girl, one with a guy, And the relationship that he kind of leans into as a more sexual and romantic relationship is the girl. I think that's a story that certainly happens a lot with ambitious bisexual men, right? (laughs) Um, And I think I find that tension fascinating. I could use it a little more explicit, but at the same time, it is President Snow and everything he does is subtext. And it's not really his style to make grand statements or to take big risks. I mean, all his risks are very calculated. So that's something that I just I find fascinating, that there's kind of this this narrative of biphobia in the text and this maybe slight suggestion that even though queerness is accepted in the community, maybe it's not quite as accepted As it could be. And I think that's just an interesting thread to follow.
1: Absolutely. That is really interesting. I got very,
0: I got very lit crit on this.
1: (laughs) No, I love, I love it. I mean, I think it's really important for us to give ourselves that permission to like, yes, we can, we can goof around and, and talk about who can get it and stuff. But like the truth of the matter is that every once in a while, a book will make us think and isn't that lovely. Right? Mm-hmm. So I'm super okay with that. I find that really interesting though. I find that their relationship between between Snow and Lucy Gray is so is so queer. I mean, there's a power dynamic problem in there and there's a lack of consent in there, but there's also a lot of tenderness there. Is it out of survival? Like I mean, I think that there could be so many questions to ask. And I think the part that excites me the most about this book is that we see the creation of a sociopath. Mm-hmm. And that's interesting. And not the creation of a sociopath, because that sounds like people are, are, are completely like shaped by their, by their environment, which isn't true. But, but I think seeing how one goes from being reasonably sensical to, you know, being turned cold out of a need for survival. So, hey, hey, shout out to uh, my trauma companions. Um, But it's really interesting. And especially if, if you read the original trilogy or have read it, and, you know, he's a character that you love to hate because he's complex. And he's, he's, he's bold and you want to understand him, but you can't quite get into his brain. Um, And that makes him even more desirable. Can you tell I've dated a few sociopaths? Uh, (laughs) (laughs) um, But yeah, there's something really fascinating in comparing the, the young snow to the bitter, just mean snow of, of the end of the trilogy. So that's interesting, too, when you take into when you take into account the queerness of the relationship, like, and you integrate like sort of this this mental health aspect of it. I mean, obviously, it's not a healthy relationship. And um, if you expect it to end well, clearly, you have never heard of the Hunger Games, (laughs) uh, also known as the story that where like you have to kill people to survive. That's it. (laughs) Um, So, yeah.
0: Now, I am not convinced that Lucy Gray was ever as into the relationship as Coriolanus. I think she is somebody who is very smart, very survival-minded, very used to taking care of herself, and Mm -hmm. I, I mean, through the whole book and even at the end of the book, was never convinced that she had feelings for Coriolanus or ever lost sight of who he was Um, and we get this book from his perspective and he is an unreliable narrator we get it from his limited perspective we only know what he knows and I feel as though if we got the story from Lucy Gray's perspective it would be a very different story
1: of course 100% totally in agreement in agreement with you I think that's really interesting but I think he does perceive her um, her, her need for survival, and it's named, I find, a few times, and I think that's also where they find kinship, is that neither of them will trust anyone fully, mm-hmm. um, and, you know, they both have charm on their side, which is... Also, their 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 point of reference, right? Not so much in charming one another, but being able to deploy their charms as a team, and to gain favor together, instead of you know trying to beat each other out and end up weakening themselves in the process. Mm -hmm. So there's that as well. That's that's pretty cool. Yeah. I, of course she didn't like him. She's surviving. I mean, I love that at some point there's allusions to to her doing survival sex work uh, during the war, um, you know, which would mean, like, as a young, young person, uh, which is quite intense. Um, And I I, I think that's that's gutsy, because we are also talking, like, this is a story of, of folks who have been through the unthinkable. And, you know, I think as as we hear more and more stories, it's important that those stories also transmit a certain sense of reality. Mm-hmm. You know, what would be the reality of an 18-year-old girl who's lived through, you know, 8 to 10 years of war? Well, you know, it's not all roses and buttercups, I'm guessing. Mm-hmm. You know, for us to add that into, into these novels, well, for that to be found in these novels as well, is, is interesting because it, does, it doesn't it does shield us from the reality um, of a certain reality and I mean, we might as well, we might as well let people know what's happening around the world. This is a very realistic portrayal of uh, characters that have lived through traumatic events. it's It's really, really, really masterfully done.
0: It really is. it it felt reading it felt very timely to me, but mm-hmm. not in an appalling, depressing way actually. it it felt. It's I think what I love about the Hunger Games universe about Panem uh, and the world Collins has created is is how well thought out it is. That makes it so real. You know, you understand how the people in the capital were perfectly ready to kind of just surrender to an oligarchy that protects them and forget everybody else. And you also mm. understand how the districts have been just beaten down because the other thing that I love about it is that the history is so short. Even by the time we're meeting Katniss and Peeta, it's only 75 years after. So yeah, you have traumatized people who are just trying to survive and then a few very wealthy people calling the shots at the top. And that there's something so like comforting even about seeing that portrayed. It's familiar because it is really the situation we're in. Hmm. Um, and you know it's not quite as yeah absolutely I was gonna say it's not quite as awful but that's just like in my neighborhood in Montreal it's not quite as awful but if I lived in Portland right now I would probably feel different
1: for but like for sure this this book lives in a dystopian reality that is very 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 close to our reality I think that um, there's something very uh, almost like like done with the same finesse as Margaret Atwood in in The Handmaid's Tale, you know, where you can really feel that we are not that far. And, like, I remember the first time I heard of The Hunger Games and everybody being like, ha, 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 it's what a foreign concept. And when I look at, you know, today's reality, I'm like, we are not that far. We are not that far away from that. In all honesty, I think that that is something that folks would watch, and that people would want to put on TV, and that sometimes makes me really sad. <laughs> um, but you also understand the reasoning of folks. Yeah, and just how like we're not that far away from having the Hunger Games in mm-hmm. the real world. Yeah, I think that was pretty much the end of my thought. All oh, right, it's hard to talk about this book without without spoiling it and I think that's something that needs to be mentioned but maybe we can touch on the fact that this is a book that is incredibly violent Um, and as someone who really struggles with violence I actually really dove into this one like I really enjoyed all the crunching of bones and the like there's something very, very primal and very survival oriented but also very emotional and cathartic that happened for me that is pretty
0: strange and interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I also am somebody who has very low tolerance for uh, any kind of dep- depictions of, of violence or gore, and also didn't have a problem with this. And don't I don't have a problem with the way Suzanne Collins writes violence in general? Which is fascinating because it is pretty much. I mean, it's it's awful. The whole concept of the Hunger Games is awful but the way she writes it yeah you get into the survival kind of mindset and it it makes it bearable and I think that's a that's a really a hallmark of what a skilled writer
1: she is absolutely
0: there's also just like yeah you like you said the book hasn't been out for that long and I Uh, there are just so many twists uh, like right up to the end that I just don't want to give anything away um, for anybody even though we all know how it ends right Snow becomes president but I found that one thing I kind of kept I kept looking for excuses for his behavior you know Mm. I kept looking for the moment where he loses his innocence and that's it and it's I think such a powerful message that that's not how that happens you know he is he's raised a privileged wealthy boy in a privileged wealthy city and even when his family loses their wealth they still have their name he has something to prove he has his grandmother telling him that he is the best 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 boy in the whole world better than everybody else and he's taken that to heart and he doesn't need any more than that hey you know that's that's He doesn't need to have some big event where he gets disenchanted because he's just somebody who has literally never thought about the well-being of others beyond his family sphere. And that really goes with his family name.
1: Snow stays on the top. Yeah what a strange family <laughs> motto
0: and i think the thing that's that's so powerful about his relationship with lucy is it's maybe the first and only time he sort of thinks about caring about somebody else but it's still very selfish it's still a very selfish approach there's no justification there's no, oh, but this horrible thing happened, and that's what made him this way. It's just, no, he was a shitty teenager, and he grew up to be a shitty adult, but damn, is he good at politics.
1: And I hope that this actually lets people understand that, you know, folks with antisocial personalities <laughs> or uh, or sociopaths, um, you know, are... are are charming and it is it is hard to look at this evil character whom you know who he is from the get go so you know there you know that there's no chance at a redemption up until the very 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 end so if that isn't there it's like a slow downward spiral or mm-hmm. is it an adventure that shows you let you know, assholes have redeemable characteristics, which is something I refuse to believe. Um, you know, it's, 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 it challenges us as a reader to say, I'm going to spend almost like 500 plus pages and I am going to, invest myself in a character whom I know is going to turn into Darth Vader you know And that's that's quite particular that's very that's that's very obviously skillful writing um, but it's a very interesting character uh, creation, I think to be able to take someone that is so despicable mm-hmm. and really say like, all right, let's do it. let's let's follow the despicable character and you know what you're gonna like them. You're going to like him at times and you're going to hate his guts. And you're going to want to throw the book across the room. But you're going to get to that last page. Because you are going to want to know. And that's pretty, pretty sweet. Mm -hmm. You've really hit on something
0: with, you know, from the beginning of this book, you're not getting redemption. And you still look for it. You still want it. It's so good. It's so well done. I also just... I want to give a shout out to the fact that the original, absolutely twisted, horrific, sadistic creator of the games is a woman. Yes. <laughs> and and she just, you know, she's got the mad scientist thing where she's just like, I'm just going to see how much torture I can inflict on people. But having her be kind of a little old lady. Hmm who just has has no qualms whatsoever about torturing children and like thinks it's fun and interesting.
1: It's awesome. Yeah. It's <laughs> so cool. Um and I think there's I think I'll I find that We've seen this in other in other series, and I'm trying to think, like, we've seen it in Divergent, like, the very beautiful glacial uh, woman, but she's not quite old. Um, I feel like there's other stories that are coming out with more and more, you know, of these, like, the very wise woman, um, but who is portrayed as having, like, being in total mastery of herself, mm-hmm. and who is a puppet master. That's really, 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 really neat, like... It's kind of fun to see some a different type of villain and to see, you know, the tropes that we associate to, with femininity that are manipulated because they're not devoid of, of, of their charms or abilities to seduce or whatever, however else you want to define women. Um, apparently, today for me, it's they're charming and they can seduce me, which... I mean, that checks out, um, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I, I think that there's, there's real, real cool craft in, in taking a character who you could very easily see as nurturing and as fulfilling that very feminine maternal kind of trope, but then take it in a completely different direction and make her hard as nails and, and mean and sadistic. I don't know, it's kind of hot almost,
0: you know? Yeah, I get it. I get it. I, I, and that's what I, I love. What I found really special about her character is she's she is fully the mad scientist trope, only we usually see the mad scientist as a man. She is not beautiful and she's not sort of twisted maternal the way like Dolores Umbridge is. Yeah. She is very much, I mean, she feels kind of like a lesbian scientist witch, you know? Like, I love that. Like, you know, she wears, like, sensible clogs and, like...
1: But with a, tr- a men's uh, trouser, like, with yeah. a pleat and rolled up elegantly yeah. and yeah. pressed.
0: Yes. And treats every single woman she has ever dated like shit because she loves her crazy little snakes more than any human. Yeah. But that's just... But that's such good representation. And also, <laughs> I, I think, like, in... I mean, this is a book about villains, right? So we're looking for our representation in the villains. And again, I think such a good message now of, you know, consider who your bad guys are. It, it, sure, yeah. it might be the president, but it also might be a power hungry teenager. And it also might be a, a, you know, scientist in her lab who doesn't care about what weapons she's developing. And I think that's, that is a very powerful message especially now
1: i totally totally am with you on that one also um just uh, i love that the the i was just looking at the the cover the sleeve and realized that you know it, there, it's a target right that's on the that's on the the cover but i just sort of glanced at it and realized oh it's the hunger games within the hunger games within the hunger games it's like an Ecosystemic approach mm-hmm. to, um, well, capitalism, really, but you know,
0: yeah. That brings me to the only gripe I have with this book, really. Ruh oh. I am so mad about the title. <laughs> I'm I'm so mad about the title. You have a yep. series, you have a title conceit for the series, and then you take this other book and you give it this whole other title conceit that's also kind of done now. Like for like 10 years, every single YA book was called a this of that and that. And now people have kind of stopped doing that. And it's like, you know, what would be good. We're going to take the series where we have this title conceit and we're going to throw that over in favor of... A this of this and this and it's just like really <laughs> did we need that I don't feel like it I don't feel like that's title conceit suits the book at all it's it's <laughs> it's weird a ballad of songbirds and snakes is a
1: weird title it is <laughs> it absolutely is but it's great because you bring me to uh, my only gripe with this book um sort of like with any J.R.R. Tolkien two many songs I am not a fan of having to read a song like there's a part of me that's like give me a code to go listen to it like because all I'm doing is trying to figure out what it sounds like. And because, I, I, because I'm because i engrossed into the story, and I feel like it's really important for me to hear it the way that it's meant to be heard and all that crap. And then I'm trying to overpronounce syllables in English, which is hard sometimes as a francophone Mm -hmm. and like add them into songs. And I don't even know sometimes syllables in English because when you say through how many fricking syllables is that, (laughs) that's not normal. I don't love that. Anyways, um, that's my gripe with this book, just too many songs. So I skipped over a few. Um, I, I declaimed one to my girlfriend, um, from uh it it was a really sad one so it was Mm -hmm. kind of unfortunate but whatever um but yeah so that was that's my gripe with it too many songs
0: i have to confess that i love the songs in this because i used to sing a bunch of folk songs and ballads and shit with my sisters Uh, and i can send you videos we've got videos and um There's especially the like the song that Katniss sings to Rue in the first book, the like Deep in the Meadow, Under the Willow is actually based around a song that I sang as a kid. So for me, kind of having these ballads and having this like folk singing aspect to it is very homey and familiar and like was really fun. (laughs) Um, But that's because I'm like familiar with the style of music and it like evokes something for me totally also also, you know i sang all the tolkien songs growing up we just made up melodies for them
1: oh i just gagged (laughs) real hard i'm so sorry Um, no it's okay i still love you we are still friends
0: i'm not a tolkien fan anymore but my brother my brother did good voices
1: Good. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, I guess if you were inspired by, you know, your the your musical upbringing, um, then that might explain why I keep trying to making it sound like Otis Redding and Aretha Franklin. Um, it doesn't <laughs> work. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, you have to think, you have to lead more Dolly Parton. Oh, I'm just getting into her now. Like, like- Oh, boy. A lot Give of Dolly.
0: Jolene is actually, there's a whole episode in uh, Dolly Parton's America about how Jolene is based in part on the murder ballads. It's really good. Yes. It's fascinating. I actually
1: listened to the whole series and loved it. I did, too. It was so I am now interested in Dolly Parton. Yeah. <laughs> She's cool. She is cool. All right, shall we wrap this up? Well, we started
0: in Panem and we ended with Dolly Parton. I think it's, uh, what else could we possibly say? <laughs> it's, an, it, it's a Friday with Pepper and <laughs> It's a great book. If you had qualms about reading it, don't. It's good.
1: Absolutely. It's really fun. It, it, it's a great book. You want to finish it. It's a great weekend away book. Like, really, really great for that. Just with a lot of violence, so you know be a little bloodthirsty Mm -hmm. all right thanks for listening to yeah if you want to leave feedback suggest a book for us to read or just say hi send us an email at the podcast at gmail.com you can follow us on twitter at yeah podcast and individually i'm at teffer bear and i'm at Caddy double underscore d if you like the show and want to help us make it even better, consider supporting us on Patreon. You can get all kinds of great perks, including early access to bonus content, shout-outs, guest appearances, and more. Head to patreon.com slash yappodcast to donate. Shout out to our patrons, Catherine Rishi, Erica Stutchbury, Kat McGuire, Lizzie Tenhove, Chantal Thomas, Matt Dever, Megan Jane, and Emily Patton. We have merch! <laughs>
0: Hit the merch link in the description of this episode to get some from the fine folks over at Tee Public.
1: Get some. You can also support us for free by leaving a rating and review on Stitcher or Apple Podcasts Sup- or by subscribing on Spotify and by sharing this episode with a friend, maybe someone who's been really disappointed, literally or literarily recently. I feel like I am making funny mouth noises. Sorry.
0: Wow, I'm literally so tired that I was just like... Don't call your words funny mouth (laughs) noise. What a day! Special thanks to Great Bear for letting us use their song Jenny's Groove as our theme music. You can find their music for sale at greatbearmusic.bandcamp.com. Also, if you want a little treat on Facebook... You can follow Noah Van Orstrand, who's one of Great Bear, and he has been doing a tune a Day on his Facebook Live, which is really fun. And the last couple of days, he's been with Andrew, so they're like two-thirds
1: of Great Bear, and it's been really fun. That's super cool. This episode was produced by Tefra Jemian, that's you, and edited by Tom Zalatini, hi Tom, as part of the Upford Network. You can find out about all the great shows on our network at UpfordNetwork.com. Bye! <laughs> hey there campers my name is Emmett, and i'm the host of gays in the woods a podcast that explores rural lgbtqia2 plus experiences from radical fairies and lesbian farmers to backwood slam poets and community organizers organizing communities the community didn't know where they were all along can you have a pride parade when you're the only gay in the village what is camp when you live in a trailer? And if a genderqueer bear shares their pronouns in the forest and nobody gets it, is anything real? I don't know, but let's find out together on Gays in the Woods, an Upford Network podcast. Hey, I'm Aaron Lakoff, host of Changing on the Fly, a brand new podcast on the Upford Network. Changing on the Fly is a podcast that dives deep into the intersections between hockey and social justice. We take on issues of sexism, racism, and homophobia on the ice. You'll hear from athletes, activists, fans, scholars, and even musicians who love hockey but want to keep the jerks out of the game. Think Colin Kaepernick or Serena Williams, both with skates and less teeth. It's your perfect antidote to Don Cherry and Coach's Corner. Hey, Don, what do you think of Changing on the Fly? Not the left-wing, pinko-media, bleeding hearts, guys. What are you, nuts? Anyways, you can find Changing on the Fly wherever you get your podcasts or visit us online at changingontheflypodcast.wordpress.com.